Unburdened. Welcome to Unburdened. <laughs> I'm Derek. Usually I sound Rashani, but I'm, I'm Derek, and and Gerald's here with me today, as as always. Uh, Corbin right, is right. off doing family stuff, um, which we always appreciate and always honor. Um, Gerald, how your week going, man? How you doing? Man, it has been a um, this has been an interesting week. I don't even know how to explain it. It's um, it's been frustrating and fulfilling and inspiring and frustrating and it's just like I and the messed up thing with me is that I don't have like one lane that I swim in mm-hmm. so like in one lane it's frustrating and then another lane is fulfilling and then another lane it's inspiring and then another lane is frustrating and none of those are the same four lanes and I'm I'm trying to keep all my feelings about different things compartmentalized so they don't bleed over um didn't we but, just talk about this? Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's exactly what I do. Like, because I'm like, well, if I let some of this inspiration over into the area that's frustrating me, then some of that frustration might bleed over and mess up my inspiration. So I'm like, just keep them separate. Mm. Right. And I, yeah, the messed up th- thing though is that then I end up, I can't remember all the good things that happen. Mm hmm. I just um, I just know that I'm feeling these four or five different emotions about this week, and I know which emotions are associated with which parts of my life. But then you ask me, so so what really good thing happened at work this week that made you feel fulfilled? And I'd be like, I don't know. I just know the emotion that came along with it, and it's, that's kind of where I'm at. It, uh, I'm paying more attention now because I know I'm going to end up having to come at the end of the week and talk about how I felt about my week. And so I try to focus more on what I'm going through. I, I think that I can, I can attest. I, I can, I can definitely speak to what you're going through or what you went through as far as what good things happened. I don't know, but I know if there was a good thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because we take the bad stuff as Jesus. We take the bad stuff as something to learn from so then it doesn't happen again. So we hold on to the bad stuff so then we won't be fooled again. And uh, we let go of the good stuff because that's going to come again at some mm-hmm. point. But the bad stuff that we keep taking and holding on to is the stuff that we should actually be letting go of. Whereas the good stuff is stuff that we should be grasping on to forever. I came to a realization this week that really I don't know why it took me so long to come to it my kids I love them unconditionally all four of them love them to pieces and I find that I get stressed out for them about certain things grades, college uh, decision making things of that nature And in getting stressed out for them, I sometimes find myself talking to them, like yelling at them maybe, or saying, you got to do this or that sort of stuff, like really being overly aggressive about situations. Really, when when I sat down and thought about it, they don't have anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. Like I can sit there and tell my kids, that they have to do this because if they don't do this, this isn't going to happen all I want to, but they'll just, you know, they don't have to listen to me. They're still the ones who are making these decisions. They're still the ones that are living this life. I'm standing on the sidelines shouting plays. Like, for my kids, I realize I'm just another coach. Mm -hmm. I'm just a coach who lives with you. And so, for my basketball team, it's gotten to the point where I don't generally call a lot of plays from the sideline I may call a timeout if things are looking really bad but by and large I'm letting you play and letting you get out there and, and work your way through mistakes and whatever it may be and with my kids I called them in to the room yesterday and had to tell them straight out you know what your grades don't matter to me whether they're good or bad 
I'm not going to get on you about your grades because I know that you're doing whatever you can to get your grades to where you need them to be to do whatever it is you want to do for your future. So me getting on you isn't going to actually change anything. It's just going to stretch you out even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want you to think that my love for you is dependent upon certain things. Like if you have certain grades or you have certain friends or you're making certain decisions or you make a certain team, then I'm super proud of you. But if you don't do this and you don't do that, then my love for you dissipates. And I didn't want anybody to feel like that. So I'm like, I'm just trying to take the stress off of y'all as you round this final bend into getting into college. I was like, if you make it into the college of your dreams, that's awesome. And I will celebrate right with you. But if you end up going to a, into a community college, I know tons of people who went to a community college and from there went to a four-year and are now doing wonderful things. And nine times out of ten, people aren't looking at the school you went to for your degree. They're just looking at the degree. So don't stress yourself out. And I don't want to be the one stressing you out. And that actually, when I told them that, it stressed them out even more because they were like, well, you sound like you don't care anymore, like you're giving up. For real? Yeah, they they were wow. like, it sounded like you're giving up on us. Like, you don't, like, my daughter started crying. Like, she was like, I just feel like, you know, you're, and I was like, well, let me explain further. I don't want you to feel like we are forcing you towards this one place. I don't want you to feel like your whole life is based around your grades. There's a lot of people who don't get the grades that they want until after they get out of high school. For a lot of people, mm-hmm. things click after high school. Again, the, the growth that we were talking about. Um, maybe you grow after you get out of high school and you realize what you want to do. Or maybe you go to a trade school. I know people who are mechanics who are making like sixty, seventy thousand 70000 a year. And they never went to college. So whatever you want to do, I'm not going to be the person to say, okay, you want to be an artist. But you need to go to Stanford. Like, those two things don't really connect for me. Right. It, yeah, so there's I've, – I've wavered back and forth on this a lot uh, over the years. And I always look at my experience because that's, like, the only one that I've lived. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when people talk about grades and everything like that and – so I've always been a really, really smart person. Always been. All right. Since I was a very small kid, it was just obvious I'm a very smart kid. However, comma pause for effect. I graduated from high school with two point seven four. All right. Not because I couldn't do better, but because I I had no interest. I had no interest in any of the things that they were trying to teach me in high school because I saw no value in putting effort or time towards learning these things that I knew I was never going to use and I didn't care about at the time. And so I did what I had to do. By the time I graduated, um, I literally was going to class the minimal amount of times necessary for me to just not get kicked out of school because I was so ready to be done with this constraint. Mm -hmm. And um, as soon as I graduated, I just went to boot camp. Like I graduated June 1st to 2000. I was in Marine Corps boot camp June 5th, but I was so ready to get out. Like graduation, people are hugging and they're throwing their little hats in the air. Like as soon as they said dismissed, I was like, where are my parents? Where are you? There they are. We out. I had no looking back because I didn't, I didn't want to be in that environment. And so a lot of times, even even when we look and we talk about kids and their grades and some kids have it figured out, a lot of times the kids who are making 4.0s don't have it figured out. Somebody else figured it out for them, mm. and they just, they're living in somebody else's cage that they have to get this. And then a lot of times you have kids who are making a 4.0 who they have figured out, this is exactly who I want to be, where I want to be, what I got to do, this is what I got to get to get there, and that's why they're making a 4.0. But it's it's kid dependent, right? It's it's understanding who you have in front of you as a as a teenager and why. Why does this kid make straight A's? Is it because he's constantly stressed out or or would making a B actually stress them out because they want to be at that level? Or is this a person who's making a, a C average because he's not capable of more or because I'm not engaging this person in something they actually care about? Mm-hmm. I was that person. And in fact, when we had the, we were just talking a few minutes ago about 
college, right? I finished college in 2016, and I was playing Clash of Clans as a thing to break me from studying because I I didn't care about that either, but I graduated at 3.8, but I didn't care about it because I already knew all the stuff. And so I was just like, I'm doing this to get a sheet of paper. Yep. In high school, it was the same thing. I'm doing this to get a sheet of paper, and then I can be done. And as soon as I'm done, I get to go adult, and that's what I've been waiting for anyway. So I think even further than just the having the conversation about I don't want my expectations to stress you out, I think it's even more of finding out who your kid is and what expectations they have on themselves and what expectations they have of you because it might be that your kids want a little bit of that, I don't want to call it pressure, right, but a little bit of that expectation from you on them, and it might be that I don't know what it is, but we kind of tend to live in our own path and then say, well, this is either what I need to give my kids or what they need from me, and I found out over the last year or so with my uh, with my oldest son, you know, the thing that he needs most from me is just for me to shut up, get out of the way, and be here when he wants to call and, 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 and listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he very much, he wants to figure out his own path, and he gets really good grades, but he's frustrated because he's like, I don't even feel like they're teaching anything at the school. I don't, they're, not, they're not teaching anything that I, that I want to learn. So he's, great, here's your paper, here's your grades, whatever. And then he goes and he spends all his time on YouTube watching all these videos trying to learn the stuff that he's not being taught. And then he goes back to school frustrated and like, why am I even here? Like nobody here wants to teach us anything that matters and the kids don't seem to care. And I'm just kind of like stuck in it. And so I think in today's world where everybody has access to all the information they could possibly want at any given time, for me, I think, I struggle with more with trying to figure out how am I going to be that support system for my kid to figure out who they really are and what they need from me in the moment and how are they kind of taking in the world and trying to process it with their teenage or younger brain because we didn't have to do that, I don't think. There was a lot of the world we just didn't know about mm-hmm. and didn't have to know about, and they have to process an entire world's worth of information as children because it's all there for them and i think that's an overload i think it's something that that they need help regulating but not with discipline so much as listening and understanding i think and we're learning the, the thing is when we were kids our parents weren't trying to learn anything new because there wasn't anything that they thought they needed to learn new because the internet wasn't there to the extent that it is now. Whereas now we're learning something new every day because the opportunity for us to learn it is right there in front of us. Like I can go online right now and learn how to be an auto mechanic just by going on YouTube. I mean, I have to follow steps and I may make some mistakes, but it's out there for me. Um, I can learn about what's going on uh, in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and in in Japan and Korea, like real time, what's going on right now. If I wanted to, I could take those steps. Whereas with my parents, they can make up whatever they wanted, and it was just like follow my lead, follow my voice. Don't go check for yourself. So my kids spend a lot of time on YouTube, and I wish I put stock in YouTube when it first came out. Uh, for all the time that my kids spend on YouTube, but they're learning. Like you said, one of them goes on there and he feels like his teacher may not teach him the right way to do math because his teacher is still learning common core math because it's not her first language of math. So right. sometimes she messes up in math. So Why do we have math, math languages? Right. Ugh. Like it's All numbers. Right. Like math was the one thing that I always believed no matter what, I could always get to the direct answer. There's one absolute in math. Like I want that absolute. And now I get to that absolute, but I got there the wrong way. Like how am I getting to the right answer the wrong way? If I count on my fingers incorrectly and get the right answer, I should get a 100%. But that's not how they do it anymore. And it just frustrates and it's- me. 
it's crazy to me. All right, so now, all right, so this is what this has turned into. The two old dudes who only know real math <laughs> talking about how dumb it is. That we got to learn a whole new kind of math. But, you know, we're here now. So what's crazy to me is the whole, the idea is, well, we, we need to teach the kids critical thinking skills. Yes. Yes, you do. Math is not a place for that. Math is that's the foundation. That's the standard that you can always go back to. When all this other stuff, there's all these different variables that you have to consider and critical think and all this kind of stuff and go back and question your own belief systems. Like, yes, you can do that with English. You can do that with social studies. You can do that with science. You can do that with all these other things. But math is literally numbers. Unless you want to add like a number called for if right between four and five. And now we got to figure out a whole new counting system because of that. Math should not change. And it's like they could have built a whole new common core thing and then just left math, math, and it would have been way more effective mm -hmm. to me. But now it's like, no, no, new is always better, which I don't know if you were a fan of How I Met Your Mother, but there was an episode where Barney was like, new is always better. And then, anyway, we won't talk about that. I get stuck. I get lost in the world. But the point is that not everything needs to reboot. Math did not need a reboot. And I'm going to shut up because that's really all it. That, that's what's on my head right now. Math did not need a reboot. And my son will go on YouTube and get taught Common Core Math because his teacher is like us saying, like she's literally saying math didn't need to reboot while teaching him rebooted math. So she so that he has to go to these other places to figure out the answer. Yeah. Uh, my other son goes on YouTube and just, he, I swear he wants to be a comedian. Like he wants to be an engineer, but he should really be a comedian because a kid is funny without even trying. Like he's just wakes up hilarious. So he watches comedy on YouTube and he watches engineering stuff on YouTube and he watches computer stuff on YouTube and he just watches YouTube. And mm -hmm. then my daughter, she's watching music and that's her interest. So literally YouTube at this point in time is giving my kids a like a pinpoint an absolute drill down idea of what they want to do what they want to learn what they want to study what they want to do going forward and i'm telling them no if you want to do music you got to know math <laughs> if you want to do comedy you you got to know science like you got to mm -hmm. know these things in order to go forward and i think that honestly college is an idea that was placed in all of our heads as something that needed to be done. But now I feel strongly like college is a trap. College is so expensive for so many people. And if you get in there and you don't graduate, which happens to a lot of people, but you go like for three years, that's maybe 150000 Right. And you just spent that time to figure out that this ain't for you. You go to a trade school or you you – you do three years working or three years going to college. And then in the third year, which happens, you get a job because you have to pay for college and it's a job with the state. So now all of a sudden you work for the state and you no longer go back to college and you're doing yeah. fine. But now you got this hundred fifty thousand dollar debt that needs to be paid off. So there's a different trade school that you can go to where they pay you money and they pay for you to go to college. And you if you get trained, armed forces, aren't you? Show as heck am. And, I remember as a kid when I decided to join the Marines, you know, all the uncles, all the uncles will come and tell you, you know, the the uh, the army ain't no place for a black man. Army ain't no place for a black man. Right. And at that time, I really, you know, in my young cockiness of, well, I'm not going to I'm going to Marines. Um, but, you know, you know what they were saying. And at that time in my ignorance and, and youth, I did not realize what the military used to be to black people in America. I didn't realize what they did to us with Vietnam and, um, you know, pulling basically all the poor black and brown people, throwing them on the front lines and literally just getting us killed. Um, I didn't know all of that. So at the time I was like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Obviously they did know what they were talking about. However, times have changed. And especially in this post 9-11 world, like you can join the right branch of the military, Air Force, and get an actual trade job 
where you're learning something that you're going to um, be able to use after you get out of the military for that four or six years or whatever. And then they've also got a bunch of like free courses and certifications you can take while you are in uniform that are industry certifications that you get access to for free. And then take that four years you would have spent in college, get your college degree or close to it anyway with them paying for it, get all these certifications, and then you get out and you can either finish up with their money or you can um, you can just jump into the career field and already have more experience than anybody who went to college and you've been getting paid the whole time, right? So, like, the way that the military is set up now, you can join for the college and literally do that, right? And not have to deal with all the other I'm going to get shot at and die type military stuff. And to me, like, those are those are the best options. You, you go to trade school or you go to community college or you join the military. You do something where you just start get an experience immediately doing stuff because by the time you get out of college four years later, whatever you were learning is not, again, information is moving at the speed of light today. So mm-hmm. whatever I learned in that four years is completely uh, obsolete before I even graduate. Like you, you got seniors learning better stuff in their internships than they're learning in their actual classes because they're actually in the real world doing the job. So, yeah, I completely agree. I I got my degree be, at, in 2016 for, here's the other thing about it, is that you go to college for this period of time, and then you leave, and if you owed anything in tuition before you left, you can't go into another college mm-hmm. until you pay that off. So not only, like, once you start going, either you need to go all the way through and just accumulate all that debt, or you just don't go at all because you rack up the debt at one spot, you still owe them some money, and then no other school's going to take you until you pay them the money you owe them. And so you really put yourself in a situation where if you do get to a point where you need a college degree, you can't get it because you're paying off debt for a degree you never got, and you also still can't start another school because you still owe that debt. Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about this? How do we get here? Uh, we were telling my kids that their grades didn't matter to me anymore. Uh, um, because I, I have come to the conclusion that a, um, they're going to be okay. No matter what, like I know my kids, they're my kids. I taught my kids. They've learned from me. They're going to be okay with or without a college degree. They're going to touch ground. Um, I also know my kids mental health. And I know that them stressing about their grades because I'm stressing about their grades is going to lead to, I don't want them to be in a position where they may hurt themselves over their grades. I don't want them to be in a position where they may get anxiety or, or, or depression or, or, or anything like that because of their grades. I don't want them sitting in a room crying over grades or taking pills so then they can stay awake so then they can get, so they can cram for finals or anything like that. I just want them to enjoy their life. I want them to be okay. So that's why I told them straight out, look, no matter what, we love you. Like, unconditionally, I got your back. And when you get to college, if you go to college, wonderful. If you don't go to college, you have a room right here. You're okay. You have a place. I'm not going to put you out because you graduate and you don't have a plan. Because when I graduated, I didn't have a plan. What I had was a scholarship. And so it was like, okay, um, I'm going to go see what this is like. But I went to college with the mindset of college is the time for me to finally be out from underneath my parents' fingers or under my parents' thumb. And I went there and I had a good old time and party and, and tried to stab people with, with 40 bottles and <laughs> all kind of stuff. And well, actually it was a gin and juice bottle and they don't break very easy. It's a beveled bottle. It goes clink when you, it bink when you try and break it over somebody's <laughs> head. But, um, I don't, I can't tell you anything that I really learned. Except for the fact that I really like to write. That's one thing that I picked up from college. I love to write and I love to act. Um, But I could have learned that just from day to day, sitting at home one day. Hey, I want to write something. I didn't need to pay that much money to figure that out. So my kids, I'm telling them right now, you know, whatever path you take, you're going to have success in it if you want to. 
Uh, I'm not going to be that person saying, I demand this of you. I'm not going to be a tiger dad or whatever they call the dads. It's always tiger moms. But I don't know what they call us, just overbearing fathers. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the one who says, you know what? If you graduate from high school with a 2.0, your family is still going to come celebrate you graduating from high school. No matter what your grade point is, they're still going to stand up and say, that's my boy. That's my baby. They did that. If you graduate from college, they're going to come and celebrate you no matter what. So don't stress out about this. You're a senior. Go enjoy your senior year. So last year where you won't have to pay for books. If you go to college, this is the last year where you ain't going to be like, damn, books really cost that much? That's why, this is why I don't like reading no more. If you want to go into the armed forces, go Air Force. <laughs> That's bias. My, my, my daddy was Air Force. His daddy was Air Force. My uncle is Air Force. My auntie is Air Force. My mama was Air Force and then went to the Navy. Um, but if you want to do that, I got your back. Just don't feel like, first of all, I felt like I needed to do certain things to appease my, my parents. Like I always felt like college was something I had to do. Like it wasn't an option. They told us straight out, you're going to college. You're going to do this. But like you said, you can go to the armed forces and learn so much more and not waste your own time. Cause I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to be forced to do this anymore. I want to get out there and experience stuff. And I want to get paid. So, yeah. So, so obviously, you know, I've talked about this before. I joined the Marines first, and I did that for eight years. And I've been in the Air Force for 10. And I tell people this all the time, which I told my cousins, both of whom joined the Army, because obviously they're just hard-headed. But I told them when they were talking, oh, I'm thinking about joining the military. So, okay, so do you think you're hardcore? Do you think you want to kill people? Do you think that you can hack it? If so, then you need to join the Marine Corps. Don't go to the Army. If you are going because you want to get a leg up in the job market and you want to get college money and all this stuff, join the Air Force. Like one or the other. Either go full on or go completely corporate. But if you join the Army, you will be kicking in doors by yourself. You're either going to be a hero and you're going to die or you're going to be with all the other people who say, I'm not going in that door because somebody might kill me in there. And, yeah, that's bias. And anybody who's listening and is in the Army or whatever, it's, it's fine. But I've experienced it in combat. I would never go to combat with anybody who wasn't a Marine because I know when I kick in that door, everybody's going to be behind me. Um, but on the Air Force side, like, they're real-life trades, like real-life big-money trades that you can get into – as a 18, 19, 20 year old and set yourself up to retire in your mid thirties, have a whole second career while you still get in retirement pay, retire again when you are 60 and all the while, man, it's, it's a thing to do. Right. Um, and I, I look at that and then I look at why I went to college and, um, you know, in high school, I was playing ball. I was trying to get a college scholarship, and I was getting looked at by some schools. But then I took the ACT, and I got a 28. And I took it again. I got a 28 again a different way. Um, cumulative score, if they did a cumulative on the ACT, it would have been 31. And I got offered an academic scholarship. I wasn't thinking about college. I wasn't stressing about which college am I going to go to. I literally just got an email from Arkansas State that said, hey, you can come here. You don't have to play basketball, and we'll give you a full scholarship. Just keep a three-point. And I was like, that's my college. That's where I'm going. I quit basketball my senior year because as soon as I knew I was going to college for free, I was like, why am I doing this anymore? Mm -hmm. I quit basketball. I pretty much quit going to school, except when I had to, I got a job, and I was I already had a job. But I started taking more hours at my job, and I was selling shoes at the mall. That was my senior year. I... I enjoyed it. Um, and my parents, as much as they wanted me to get a college education, they also, they didn't put that pressure on me, right? They didn't like that my grades were so low, but I never felt like they were looking at me like, oh, you're just a disappointment, right? Um, and then when I went to college, it was, you know, within the first semester, uh, I got a girl pregnant. My son came during the second semester, and then shortly after that, I left school completely to take care of him. Um, didn't go back until, like, 2011. And nowhere in all of that did my parents – I never had that situation where one of my 
decisions that my parents would not have made for me had they had the opportunity. I never had that point where either one of them looked at me and said, you disappoint me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times for kids, it's much worse for your parent to look at you and say, you disappoint me or you're a disappointment than to say, I'm angry with you or I'm upset with something that you did because it's that disappointment word you tell somebody they're a disappointment, that basically just says you don't live up to the standard of a human that I expected you to, and I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately enough, I never had, in all of the decisions that I made, I've never had my parents look at me and say, you disappoint me or you're a disappointment. And I made some pretty big mistakes that have set my life back a bunch of different times. But I think that's the most important thing you don't want your kids to feel like they've disappointed you. Um, but at the same time, I think they need to feel like they could. Like they need to feel like there's a standard that they could not achieve in order for them to feel like you care. But then you never want to make them feel like they haven't lived up to that standard. I don't know how, I don't know how that comes off, but. It, it would be hard to walk that line though, where it's like, okay. I love you unconditionally, but here, you know what that line would be for me? Murder somebody. Murder mm. somebody, sexually assault somebody, uh, vote Trump. <laughs> um, not, not really on that last one. I mean, I'd be like, what are your reasons for that? I'd ask. I'll really ask and I would be disappointed. I wouldn't say I was disappointed in you. I just ask what exactly, how, what, what are the purposes of the reasons for that? But hurt somebody, physically assault somebody, murder somebody, go to jail, sexual assault, um, homophobia, racism, things I could teach that I could walk you out of and you still go back to them. I'm like, okay, I don't understand why you're doing this, but I'm disappointing you. Like, mm-hmm. because I know I taught you better than that. Those are things that I taught you. But so notice, so there's a difference there. I'm disappointed in you versus you're a disappointment. Yeah. My dad, you say I'm a disappointment. I think that's why I don't say it. My dad would that, tell me that. That to me is crushing. Whew. Boy, Boy, howdy. Yeah, no, uh, my daddy would say that. Like, that was his primary way to tell you that, um, yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't, and I, I can't let my kids hear that out of my mouth because I heard it out of my dad's mouth. Mm. So um, I'm disappointed in you. Uh, I've said that, like, once, and that was when uh, one of my kids uh I think they had told me that, oh, yeah, they got in trouble at school. They came home and told me that they had gotten in trouble. I went to the school ready to ride for them and, and scream at the teacher or whatever it may be. And as soon as I started talking about what my daughter said had happened, the teacher pulled out receipts. Mm. And was like, here's what really happened. And dropped it right in front of her and made her read out what she had been writing about the teacher. And I'm just staring at her like, you brought me in here under false pretenses, got me yelling at this dude. Now I look silly because you lied to me. I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's something I taught. I taught you better than to lie to me about this. I always tell you, look, if you do something, just keep it 100 with me. Be completely honest with me about what happened and I will walk with you to get this resolved. But you have to be absolutely honest with me. So if you're not, that's when I'm disappointed. But my kids in themselves, they're so amazing. You know, in so many different ways. Like they just, one of them may not be able to do this as well as the next one, but each of them can do something that they just, <clears throat> it's like that song where you just don't know how amazing you really are. And mm-hmm. I think that as parents, it's our job to tell our kids how amazing they are because everybody else in the world is trying to tell them how they're average. Their grades are telling them how they're average or they're above. They're either at an A level or they're average or they're failing. They don't really, mm-hmm. We don't really talk about B's in this day and age. Mm-hmm. We talk about A's, C's, and F's. Right. And so... A D is D might as well be an F. Exactly. And a so, B is like, so you could have got, got an A, but... If you wanted to, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's like they're getting judged in school all the time based on their grades. They're getting judged in sports based on their performance all the time. Why do I want them to get judged at home? Why do I, why? This should be their safe space. If I'm trying to create safe spaces right now for black men on this show, you best believe I'm trying to create a safe space for my kids in their own house. That's only fair. And one thing that I realize is that I'm doing all these things for all these other kids when I'm coaching them, and I'm not doing it for my own kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, 
why can't I carry that over to my own children? Why can't I be this supportive of my own children no matter what? Like, if you get a turnover in basketball, I'm not going to scream at you. But if you don't clean up your room at home sufficiently enough, I'm supposed to, like, get on you and, like, ah! Now, in all honesty, my kids know that we have a certain standard when it comes to room cleanliness. And so if it gets to that point, I'll be like, your room smells like butt, dog. Like, open up your room, open up your window and clean this right now, and they'll get it taken care of that same day. But I'm not going to be like, yo, get out of my face. You you piss me off. You're a disappointment. Uh, you you never will measure up to so-and-so. I just can't. Just thinking about it stresses me out, and I know that it will break my kids' hearts. So mm-hmm. I'm all right with that. Yeah, I, um, so another perspective, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this because when I think back to the relationship I had with my dad and I think about who I was, who I am and how our relationship was and the way that he taught me, I, I'll put it like this. I think if I had you for a dad, I probably would not be who or where I am right now. No, you wouldn't. And and I and I say that because I feel like I needed and need someone to just lay it out in front of me and say, This is the standard. You will meet it if you don't meet it. Uh, I'm going to let you know about it. Um, and my dad was very much that guy. At the same time, he always said, uh, this never made sense to me as a, as a young kid, but he would always tell me, you're my hero. Um, always. And and it's almost like there was this juxtaposition of, I know that you love me because you constantly, I could tell by the way he looked at me that he meant it when he said I was his hero. But at the same time, I could also tell because he would be flat out with me whenever I didn't measure up to his standard in something, typically sports. Um, he got furious. And I mean, to the point where every single game I had playing basketball from junior high school up, um, he, I would be in tears at home. By the time we got home in the truck, I would be in tears and we would sit out in the, in the, uh, driveway until I stopped crying because he knew that if I went inside crying, then he, he was, was going to have argue with my mom. Exactly. Yep. But he couldn't help it. He, it was, he was that passionate about competition and winning and giving your best. And he was that guy. I have never been a, I've got to give my best type dude. And I, I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, it was just like, I'm having fun doing this, and I do want to be the best that I can, but I don't have a problem not being the best person here. And he wanted me to be the best person, because he was the best person. But it was like this juxtaposition of the standard is way up here, and I believe you can meet that standard, and I'm going to show you how much I believe in you being able to meet that standard. But when you don't meet that standard, I'm going to, you, you will know it and it's going to hurt furiously. That worked for me. And every basketball coach I had all the way up through high school was that kind of authoritarian and it worked for me. Um, and as an adult, I've learned not to be that authoritarian with my kids, but I had to learn it through lessons of with my with my oldest son and almost breaking that relationship we've had that conversation i've learned not to be that authoritarian but also i've i've learned to appreciate how much it did for me individually cuz if i had had a more lax environment i wouldn't be shit right now i just wouldn't cuz i'm i'm very happy to just be like hmm. so what do you think about that some i don't know okay so <clears throat> Was your daddy military? Nope. Never. Okay. My daddy was military. And uh, same exact thing. My dad was like, um, if you don't do this, you're piss poor. Uh, you need to work on this. You need to always be training. You need to be. He would drive us. Like, Ben-Hur 
whip in hand. We were the horses. He's on the chariot pushing us to the next goal no matter what. And if you didn't make it, you were piss poor. You were a failure. You didn't do this right. Rides home from any games would be just like that. Uh, rides home from my brother would be hell. Um, he refed a game because he was also a referee. He refed a game that I played in. And uh, he teed me up and threw me out of the game uh, because I slammed the ball down uh, when he didn't call a foul. That was an obvious foul because he thought I should have walked it off. Um, and then he made me walk home on the injured knee that I got in that foul that he didn't call that I got teed up for and thrown out for. Um, he yeah. teed my brother up and threw him out because he missed a dunk once. Um, and when my eldest son, uh, Kenny was seven, eight, he decided he liked basketball and I was like, cool, I'm a coach. I started coaching at the age of five, but when he got in, I was like, cool, now we can really get going. And I used to ride Kenny like Zorro. I mean, I would tell him about how he needed to work on his shot. He needed to work on his layups. He needed to work on everything. He was always smiling on the court. That pissed me off. And Nisha would, we would fight because Nisha would go to the games too. And Nisha would be like, you're not going to yell at my kid. You're not going to make my kid feel bad. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. And I was 28, maybe Mm -hmm. at the time. And I was like, whatever. This kid needs to work on his layups and blah, 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 woo, woo, woo. And then one day it dawned on me that I am literally, like, I tell people, I'm the son of Darth Vader. I am the son of Darth Vader. And just because I survived living under Darth Vader doesn't mean that Darth Vader's methods were effective for me. Because what they actually did for me was they caused a gang of anxiety. They made me worry about whether I ever lived up to his standards. I would tell my mom all the time, all I want once is for my dad to say he's proud of me. And that never happened. He never showed emotion. He never said he loved me. He just, he never said I was his hero. Nothing like your dad did. He just Mm -hmm. would get on me. He would constantly get on me to the point where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So for my kids, it was all I knew. So I was getting on them. Go-Go doesn't play basketball anymore because I rode her so hard about her rebounding. Kenny, I got on him about his shooting until I realized he was perfect at everything else. Defense, rebounding, talking on defense, moving around, speed, end-to-end, all this other stuff. And actually, until I realized that I was acting just like my dad acted with me and I hated every moment of it. So, yeah, I feel you when you say that there's, like, it pushes you if you have that type of mindset. If that is your, if you thrive in that sort of environment, I love it. But... I know I didn't thrive in it. And Mm -hmm. I know that from the ages of birth until the age of like 10, my elder kids didn't thrive in that sort of pressure. And then with school from the age from birth until like the age of 15 and 16, I know they didn't thrive in it. So I'm just going to stop with my younger son with kid. Awesome. I tell him all the time, you know what? You're my favorite ball player Mm -hmm. of all time. You're my favorite basketball player. You tell us too. people. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause a kid, when you really sit back and realize all the amazing things that they can do that you have no part of, I didn't teach them how to do that. I'm just a coach. I didn't teach them how to do none of that. Um, it's just, I don't want to make my kids feel like in order for them to measure up to me or to mean something to me, they have to do these certain things. They have to meet these standards in order for me to recognize them as me being proud of them. So if that means that I have to step back on things that I know they're struggling with because I know I struggle with them too, so be it. I mean, I would rather have a kid who is going to find their way uh, later on in life than a kid who is looking over their shoulder to really make sure that Kid Awesome just stopped like literally earlier this year looking over at the bench during his trainings to see if I'm watching him when he makes a good shot. He Mm. just stopped doing that. And this is the kid who's doing that. Hey, everybody who's watching on Facebook right now, uh, go to Derek Jones's profile and just click on the video. My, that's my son doing that dribbling move. And he will make moves like that all the time. And then look over to see if I saw it Mm -hmm. because dad's not giving praise or dad's not doing this or that. And, it was like, you know what? I am holding these kids back by making them think that my praise means everything or, or, or measuring my praise with criticisms. I shouldn't be the one critiquing these kids. Like when I was a kid, when, when I was a younger parent, 
that whole mindset was in my head that you never let your kids beat you in sports. You never let them beat you in a game because if you let them beat you in a game, they'll never learn how to compete. Well, well what if they're better than you? What if, what if they're better than you? Oh, and the first time that they beat you, you're supposed to just stop playing them completely. And they got the, they, they beat you and now they know how it feels. No, I let kid awesome play me in a basketball game and he was up 19 to six and he was hitting threes and everything. Like he earned it. This wasn't me. Like he was way smaller than me. So I wasn't going out there to block his shots, but he earned it. And then I was thought about what my dad said about you shouldn't let kids beat you. And I came back and beat him and he cried. He boohooed big, huge raindrop tears. And I felt horrible. Who learned from that? Who got anything from that? Nobody. But I was supposed to do that as a dad. I'm not supposed to let them beat me. That's stupid. That is dumb. And so I put that idea to the side. And really what it is, is I'm just learning from my kids as I go on. Because in all honesty, with the stuff that they've ingested through YouTube and Google and all these other things, they're smarter at their age than I was at their age. Let's just keep it 100. So why am I trying to stand over them like I'm still the end all and be all and know it all, where if I tell them something, they can instantly say, uh, Siri, what is the square root of blah, blah, blah? See, Dad, you were wrong. Oh, right. We didn't have a way for you. My parents yeah. didn't have a way for me to look it up when they used to say it to me. I just had to trust them. But yeah. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And 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 I feel like, for me, part of me becoming a more effective parent, part of me being a more effective father was putting my pride to the side. Because I feel like I'm the dad. I deserve this. I deserve respect. I deserve all of this. No, I am a part of this family. And I deserve the same respect that you deserve. So if you know something that I don't know, teach me. Tell me. If 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 you go through this, guide me. Show me. So we can learn together. And I think that that's made my house a much more open and honest place to be at. Where there's a lot more just communication and conversation rather than, how's your day today? It was alright. My son asked me now. Kenny asked me when he gets home from school. Hey, hey, Derek, how was you? How how was your day? And I'm like, you know what? It was this and that and the third, and we did this and that. And then I'm like, and how was your day, Kenny? How are you doing? Well, I did this today and I did this, and we sit down and we really talk every day about how your day was. Something small that we didn't do before. We do it now, and it's some of the most wonderful moments in the world. And me and my dad have never done that, and will never do that because mm-hmm. I don't. I still feel in my heart that my dad doesn't even care enough to ask me how my day was, and mm-hmm. I don't think that he wants to show emotion enough to tell me how his day was. So I just never asked. Mm. Yeah, that's a different. Um, it's definitely a different experience. So my, um, I know we're we're up on our time, but mm-hmm. real quick. So my dad. Um, he managed fast food restaurants my entire, um, my entire childhood. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, he was, he was like the number one football player in the South in, in the mid seventies. Like it was him and Houston nut. And so Houston nut went to the school I graduated from. And my dad went to one of the other schools, Parkview. Those were the two, not only the two top football players in the state, they were the top two recruits in like the southeast of the country. So that's how good he was at football. I am six foot three and up until I went to the Marine Corps was 165 pounds. So no, I was not gonna play that game. <laughs> I would have been snapped like a twig, but he wanted but he expected me to be the greatest at basketball at my thing. But I grew up my dad was a fast in fast food management. And all the when he wasn't at work, which he worked days, he worked nights, he worked weekends. He was just he was working a lot. That's what I saw my dad do growing up. He worked. He worked early. He worked late. And then when he would when he was not working on the weekend, we would hop in his truck and we would just ride around town. And he had all of these friends because everybody knew him because he was Al Bundy, right? He was four mm-hmm. touchdowns in a single game, you know local hero and so everybody was friends with him and so we would just ride around town going to different people's houses and I still remember like my my right ear I can fold it and actually stick it into itself because my dad when he was riding in in the truck his arm would be around the top of me and he would just be messing with my ear 
Um, <laughs> it's 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 a weird thing, but it was like I always knew my dad. He works hard. When we were right around town, a lot of times it was just hanging out with his boys. Sometimes it was going to, you know, some older woman's house who just needed something done um, or going to visit family. Like, we just would spend time just riding, and we never talked. I just listened to his music, which was sometimes hip-hop and sometimes it was a little older, but it was I was just in the car, and that was it. And so my experiences with my dad were juxtaposed between – Seeing how hard he worked for himself and other people and us, seeing how cool everybody thought my dad was when I wasn't cool at all, seeing how he, without words, cared about me, and then when I was on a basketball court, seeing how pissed off and angry he was that I was not as good or working as hard as he wanted me to be. So it was like this juxtaposition of all of these wonderful traits with the one thing of he he wants me to be better at this and I think that may be the difference in that I had I had a tale of two dads, right? And it was like whenever sports came into play, Jekyll came out. Or Hyde? Hyde. It's Hyde. Yeah. yeah. Whoever the whoever the, the murderer was. Yeah. Um sports brought out Mr. Hyde. And so I grew up with an understanding of that's just a trigger for my dad, right? It wasn't a he doesn't care about me type thing. But then I became a father very young, and I was not good at parenting my son. And Mr. Hyde came out with with basketball. So it was like we were in a situation between that you had with you and your dad was a situation that I was creating with me and my oldest son because I didn't juxtapose the expectations with love. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do that yet. I was very selfish. And it took me growing up and then having to go to him and say, I owe you so many different apologies, right? And and changing the way I interact with him over time to start rebuilding that relationship because it can work that you hold your kids in really high expectations in one arena or two so long as everywhere else they know this is this is how I really feel about you. But if you if you place all of that expectation and all that um, affection that they may get from you on them being great at something and they never get it anywhere else, and you never explain it and you never you may not even understand it yourself, you really can. You can destroy people and you can destroy relationships with people. And that's what your kids are. They're they're humans. They're people who are growing and developing and learning. And they don't forget anything. Mm. I know. I today, my dad died 10 years ago, and I still remember in detail so many different things from his life, good and bad. They they never forget, and it's almost like when, whenever that relationship ends forever, um, you either as the parent, which would be very unfortunate, or as the child who lost a parent you end up spending so much time just reliving all the things that either were or could have been, and it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, I think what you're saying, I, it just is really important that as parents we realize how important, how much more important it is to create the environment like what you're talking about than it is for our kids to be the best at something. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to it's not going to matter what they were the best or not the best at when one of you is gone. The other is literally going to be thinking about the person that's gone every day in some way or another. And you want there to be good memories. Yep. But my um, last thing is my my pastor before he passed away, I still call him my pastor because he was. The, one of the greatest men I've ever known. And due to the fact that I didn't feel like I had that relationship with my father, I was looking for relationships with men who be able to guide me to be a better man. And he was one of those men. Um, one of the things that he said was when he died at his funeral, what he wanted us to be able to hear was his wife come up and say he was a good wife. His kids come up and say he was a great father. His friends would come up and say that he was a good man. And then he wanted to go to heaven and have the Lord say he was a good servant. The thing that struck me the most was I want my kids to be able to say he was a good father. 
he was a good dad. I I know in my heart that I strive to be a really good coach and a really good husband. I need to make sure that I'm always working to be that good father because being a good father isn't being a good father, being a good husband isn't set in stone. It's constantly evolving as you evolve and as your relationship evolves. So I want to be able to stay cognizant of changes that may be occurring that are going to help me. Like I got to constantly update my system. Uh, yeah. So then I could do whatever new viruses may be there or whatever new thing may be going on. Um, and doing that, I think is really going to just help me. I haven't spoken to my dad in years. He's alive. I just, I don't have a need to like, there's nothing that I can learn from him. And there's a, and I'm, I don't want to be back down. I want to try and stay up, mm-hmm. but I think about him. I think about him often. Um, because I think that he'd be proud of me and I think that he might actually finally say it. And I think he might be proud of my, my kids. And I think he might actually say it. Um, but I don't want to risk calling and find out that he's not. So basically what I'm saying dads is if you have a style that works with your kids, be careful of being comfortable in that style because kids change as they grow and you don't want to be the last person to know that your style is not working. Um, also, if you are able to be open and honest with your emotions and with your kids and know that the one who knows something knows that they don't know something at all. Hi, Erica. <laughs> that's how you get unburdened. <laughs> so, um, Again, Unburden is looking for anybody to come on the show. Any any black men who wish to come on and, and talk about something that you need to let go of. The only things we have, only rules we have, no misogyny, no homophobia, no transphobia. Uh, really, no racism. Um, we are open like we will even if you don't want to put your name out there we'll just do a show with no video for you and change your name to a pseudonym uh just so you can really just unburden yourself whatever it is that is affecting you um our voicemail number is area code 916-572-9016 uh gerald is available on twitter at by black podcast and also at gw jones ii that's it. The second. I am available on Twitter at Rashani, R-A-S-H-A-N-I-I. Corbin, who is unable to be with us today, is available on Twitter at State of Corbin. And the show is available on Twitter at Unburdened Pod. We can be emailed at blackinunburdened at gmail.com. If you just want to talk through email, we'll get right back to you. It doesn't have to go on the show. We don't need like like it, we it's winter and there's a lot of folks who need to talk about what they're going through emotionally and we're there to listen um but i think that's it i thank each and every one of y'all for listening um i thank each and every one of y'all who checked us out live um actually um a couple of days ago, I was so depressed. I couldn't, I, I couldn't even fathom putting out a show, but this show is literally, I'm thinking it's going to be something that saves me this winter. And I'm already knowing that. So, uh, for Gerald, uh, actually Gerald, is there anything else you want to say? Tell him about your show or anything like that? Um, no, the only thing is, you know, I, I highly recommend, you know, telling people about single simulcast. And, um, obviously this, this is a, a show that we do together, um, me, Rashani, and Corbin. It is a show that, that Rashani came up with and that he produces of three or four other really good shows. And for some reason, he doesn't want to promote those on this platform. <laughs> However, um, this is, I think, the place to do it because this, I feel like, is where, you know, we're getting unburdened, we're letting the guard down, but people... People want to know who we are and what we do. Um, especially, I know if I was listening to a show like this where people let me this far into who they are, I would want to get engaged with the other things that they do to learn more about them. So, 
before we hop off, I highly recommend let the people know where else they can find the content you create because it is great content. So I just finished doing the latest episode of a show called The Dream Team uh, that I do with my homeboy Scar and Adjective J. And just like Gerald and Corbin, they are brothers from another mother. Um, I've known Jay and Scar since my kids were babies and we've been podcasting together for at least 10 years. Um, and this episode, we talked about, uh, the anniversary, the 25 year anniversary of Shaq Diesel, the CD made by Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Can we rock? What's up, doc? Can we rock? And Can we also, rock? I know I got skills and I talked mm. about why that CD will live in infamy for me. Um, it's a great time. Um, we really do get open about conversations over there too. We talk more about misogyny, racism, and homophobia over there. Um, and then I do a show called Single Simulcast with, uh, the illustrious, uh, Shante, uh, Shante Fabulous on Twitter. Um, and I'm just grateful to her because that show is everything to me. Like, it is my, it, it saved me more times than I can count. Uh, we talk about everything under the sun over there, like TV, pop culture, video games, uh, just things that are going on in the world, uh, politics. Uh, this last episode, we talked a lot about Clash Royale and yep. about um, Candy Crush and how it is a replacement for an addiction, like gambling addiction turned into Clash Royale addiction. Um but it's always, it's not always funny. I'm not even going to front, but it's always honest. It's always open and it's always just a great time. And then Sin and Solace, uh, which is the audio drama I wrote back in 2010 uh, about an assassin and his best friend. Um, and they're all available on Spotify. Uh, so if you're listening to this on Spotify, uh, just look for the Dream Team. Uh, look for Sin and Solace. Look for 20 minutes. All of these will be back on soon. 20 minutes hasn't came out in a new episode in a while. Because I haven't had the chance to really interview anybody. But it will be back real soon. And I don't feel comfortable talking about any of this. Um, that's why That's why I put you out there. Because <laughs> you need to. Because uh, in, in real life, man, every uh, when I listen to um, single simulcast, I'm listening to my friends have a conversation. Right. I don't need to be talking. Even when y'all have me on the show, most of the time I just sit there and I'm listening as a as a listener of the show. But it's knowing you in real life makes me enjoy that show more. And I feel like a show like Unburdened, like we you literally create a platform where we come and we just lay ourselves bare. The people who listen to this probably know more about us than a lot of the people that we work with every day mm -hmm. that we call associates or anything like that. And if they're listening, it's because they want to know more about who we are. You create great content. I create, create great content that's valuable to the community and to people. And it would be selfish to say, I only want you to know me in this box. Compartmentalizing. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> and we brought it back full circle. So thank you for sharing that. For everybody listening, I'm Gerald. I have by Black, uh, the Voice of Black Business is my podcast. I interview black business owners. Um, we teach things to people about entrepreneurship and, and economics and some of everything. It's a really great show. And we've started doing that live on Facebook, too. So that's where you can find me at buyblackpodcast.com. I have some other ideas for podcasts, but I'm not like Rashani. I don't have that that motivation to turn around and actually create the things that all come to my head. And I'm really glad that you do because every, and this is me running my mouth, but every platform that you have created that I've listened to shoots to the top of my podcast list because it's real. And it's a peek into you know, what's real to you and what's real to the other co-hosts and it's valuable content. Uh, share it. Tell people. 
Appreciate that, man. I'm not crying. I'm sniffling. I got the flu. Yeah, you know, you I got sick. that. You're because, yeah, got look, some. there's something about kids getting sick that makes them think, I need to crawl into bed with my parents and turn face-to-face with them and just, ah, ah, I'm sick, ah, all in your face. So my youngest kid awesome blessed me with the flu. Thank you all for your time. We really, really do appreciate it. Gerald, as always, brother, thank you so much. Much love. I love you, man. And, um... Corbin, I hope you had a wonderful day. Uh, This is unburdened. Y'all be good. Peace. You can follow the show at Unburdened Pod on Twitter. Voicemail is 916- Five seven two nine zero one six. Email is black in unburdened at gmail.com.